Good morning. Uh, welcome back to our Q&A, one of my favorite times. I love this. It never gets old. Uh, excited to be with Doug. I haven't been able to do the Q&A with Doug in, in a little while, uh, but it's fun to be joined with him this morning. Uh, if you've never met before, my name is Jonathan Monk. I get to be one of our youth pastors here on staff, and so obviously filling in for Tracy. Joined here with Doug, as we always say here in the Q&A time. Uh, this is a practical chance for you to send in your questions based upon what you just heard um, in the sermon. And so there's the questions or the number on the screen, so you can text in your, your questions, and we would love to, uh, to answer uh, those questions. So a uh, big idea this morning yeah. uh, is uh, the prayer. The goal was to know how much God loves you. And then right. you gave, I think, five or six broad categories of, of how he has loved us. And so one of the questions that I uh, personally was curious of, and I think you may have touched on this, but just wanted you to maybe um, unpack it more, is uh, what do you do when you feel like God doesn't love you? Mm. Anything yeah. in addition you would say to those six yeah. broad categories? Well, that's a fair question because I— um, <clears throat> You know, feelings are uh, one of God's good gifts to us, and um, but sometimes we we depend instead of enjoying the gift of feelings. Um, sometimes we depend upon them too much, or maybe it maybe it'd be better actually, Gemma, to actually say. Uh, when we feel it, all feelings are a gift of God. So when I feel like God loves me, I'm getting to your question. When I feel like God loves me, then I enjoy the, the joy, the happiness, the peace, the pleasure that comes from that kind of wind beneath my wing stuff. Mm-hmm. When I don't feel like God loves me, is that a good feeling? Well, no, it's not a good feeling in terms of I don't enjoy it, but it actually is a productive feeling. Because when I don't feel like God loves me, that actually, think of a dashboard on your car, mm-hmm. uh, that's probably an effective gauge or warning light on your dashboard that says either read your Bible or remember how much God loves you, go back and remember the cross or sing a song that declares the goodness of God and the love of God. That's why we, we ended with that, an upbeat song of the love of God for us, of simply John 3.16. So um, I th- it's just, I guess what I'm trying to really say is all of us have feelings that— don't make us feel good. And we wish, we wish we wouldn't have them, but actually, what if we began to see those as valuable feelings to uh, prompt us to do important things? When I, just take it physically, if I feel sluggish physically, uh, actually, the last thing I feel like doing is getting up and exercising, moving in some way. But I've learned that if my body is feeling sluggish and I will do the appropriate action of some activity, I will reap the reward of that physically. I'll feel better physically. So if I am spiritually sluggish, 
God's not listening. God doesn't answer my prayers. Why is everything going wrong? And we have those negative feelings that connected to them. It makes it harder. I'm not denying it makes it, 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 it that it doesn't make harder to do the important good actions that will turn the tables. But they're reminders to us. Get in the word uh, or turn into music and listen. Song, yeah. Yeah, the Psalms, quite frankly, are a collection of, mm-hmm. of writings of guys who weren't feeling so great. And they poured it out to God. You don't have to deny your feelings. You have to go, God, I I can't tell him. Just tell him what you're feeling. Admit what you're feeling. That's what the psalmist does. He admits, I feel downcast. Uh, I feel forgotten. I feel like everybody else is winning and I'm losing. He tells him that to the Lord. And in telling that to the Lord, then he reminds himself of who the Lord is and what the Lord has done. And it's amazing how many psalms start in the dumps and end up in the heights, if you will. Yeah. They start in despair, and they end up in praise. It's probably a good—sorry, no, it's a long no. answer—but uh, it's probably a good example for all of us who find ourselves in the dumps of what we ought to do. Take it to the Lord, admit what we're feeling, and then bring to mind that which declares who he is, what he has done, and we'll find ourselves again um, (laughs) out of the dumps. Uh, Our heart is lifted on the wings of praise. But I think it's, I I think God can take us uh, telling him what we really are feeling, what we're experiencing in that process. So feelings are, are not meant to rule our lives, but they are gifts of God, all of them, mm-hmm. both the, the positive feelings and the negative feelings, the gifts of God to point us in the right direction. Yeah, that's good. And I like the dashboard example of, of indicators of our yeah. feel, those negative feelings can actually press us into him. Yeah, so, I hope good. so. Well, they can. They won't automatically. It, it, take, it takes some discipline. Who in their body sluggish does, feels like, oh, I'm sluggish. Let's get up and run. Yeah. Or let's go, let's go play something. Let's right. be active. No. And you're sluggish, then you just want to be a slug. Right. But it's actually a reminder to do the opposite. Right. Next question. Uh, this prayer <clears throat> sounds like we need to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit, before Christ dwells on our hearts through faith salvation. Am I misinterpreting this passage? That's a great... That sounds like a little bit from last week, maybe? Well, not a, a little bit, entirely from last, last week. week yeah. But that, that's great. Uh, it may be that um, you missed it. So, uh, yes, we said, we actually, in short, if you don't catch what I'm saying, I spent a lot of last week unpacking that question because it's a good observation. Mm-hmm. It says in the text, and for those who are listening... Uh, let me make sure we, we read it. Uh, <clears throat> to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So it does sound like that we need to be strengthened mm-hmm. so that the result would be that Christ would come into our hearts. And the point is this. It's not come into our hearts. 
I use an example. It's to unpack the presence of Christ into every area of our life. When it says to dwell, it's not to visit there. It's not just to be there. It's to reside there. That's the picture of the unpack. So uh, the Bible is clear. When we believe in Jesus, a few things instantly happen. When we believe in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We're washed clean. We're adopted as children of God. He pours his spirit into our hearts at the moment of salvation. But in the same way that when a person gets married, they're immediately married, but they have to learn how to live as a married couple. There's a difference between a wedding and a marriage. (laughs) A wedding is a point in time. A marriage then is intended to be the rest of your life unpacking the promises you made on that wedding day. Mm -hmm. So in this prayer here, it is a prayer that they would be strengthened in in a man so that in every area of life, their decision to trust Jesus would be unpacked in every area of life. So that's, uh, that's the answer to that question of it's not... We are strengthened for Christ to come in. We're strengthened for Christ to be present, to be leading mm-hmm. and working in every area of our life. Yeah, so great question. Totally not from last week, but you can go back and listen both yeah. to the Q&A and to the, the message from last week, which, by the way, as we look back to last week's message, I thought it was a great reminder for the students doing power-up clubs. Your prayer is the only way that I can be strong is by being strengthened to recognize that we're weak, and, and I, I think that impacted our students as they went into the power of clubs last yeah. week. So, it's a a totally different Christian life when I think I'm responsible yeah. versus I'm an instrument and he's responsible. Right. I couldn't save myself; I needed him to save me. I could only receive it. I can't be strong. I can only be strengthened to receive his power and then live in the strength with the Holy Spirit gifts. But again, that was last week. Um, Another question, and maybe we kind of already touched on this with the feelings, but can you unpack the significance of of God's love? Is it subjective or objective? As you were teaching, you really paused there and you made it. Man, this is big. And so I was listening and I thought, what's the significance there? Well, I think, yeah, I think the significance again is that All of us want to feel the love of God, feel close to God, feel like God is listening, feel like God is working for good. And sometimes we do. Mm -hmm. But often we don't. There's a ton of ways in my life where I go, God, it doesn't feel like you're working for good. But I know that you are. So... Uh, This text says, I want you to know how much God loves you. So we talked about all the ways that he has declared he loves us. But then he says, I want you to know it beyond what even knowledge is. So uh, he does want us to feel. Again, I don't want us to discount the gift of God in feeling. I don't want us to make it too big so that if we don't feel it, it's not true. If I don't feel like God loves me, does he still love me? Yes, I know he still loves me even when I don't feel it because of what he has said and what he has 
done. So there's the object of love of God, that which we can know because of what he has done and what he's declared. And there's the subjective uh, love of God, that which I can feel. One is always true. One is not always going to be true. The objective will always be true. The subjective will come and go. That's good. Um, And also, I I loved that uh, at the end of the passage, you were talking about how there, you're an action guy, and there's no action in this passage. But the, the but the big action, though, is once we realize how much God loves us, is we are to uh, trust Him. Uh, can you think about a time in your own life recently where it's been hard to trust Him? Hard to trust Him. Um, you know, there's times that well i can I can share this my um, <clears throat> my son and daughter in law um, went in for their sixteen week checkup uh last week and um, two Fridays ago now to just for their their regular checkup and they found no heartbeat and so uh, with no heartbeat, and then they realized the baby had died, and uh, it was past kind of the window of time where the body would just normally miscarry and discharge the baby. And so they had to go into the hospital last Friday and go through a normal delivery and gave birth to a, a little girl uh, about the length of my son's hands and you you could tell already already the gender uh even at uh they thought the baby had died at 14 weeks but um so um does that feel good obviously not that's a silly statement didn't feel good um i remember sitting on the couch talking to my son and he said you know we think oh we think about our own lives and we believe that God has purpose for our lives. And he does. He said, it just makes me wonder, what's the purpose of uh, 14 weeks of life? What was the purpose of this life? Because it was, uh, we believe it's life. We believe that life begins at conception, not at birth. So you believe it's life. But what was the purpose of 14 weeks? And that's a hard question. I don't have a easy answer for that for my son or for for folks who lose babies uh, early on what's the purpose Uh, I can know that there's a purpose in my own life for uh, in terms of the Lord trusting me learning to trust the Lord me uh comforting others with the comfort that we've received from God, which is what Corinthians talks about, mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 1. Um, you know, Jackie and I miscarried before our first was born, and so we know uh, that loss. We know then the fears that, well, what if we try again, and what if we lose another one and lose another one? And, uh, you know, we have friends who have lost multiple, multiple babies. So uh, the question was, you know, time recently where uh, that's a hard time to trust the Lord because there's not clear answers there. Uh, 
So when there's not clear answers in the subjective, what do we do? We go back to the objective. Do I believe that God loves me? Yes, because of what he's done. Do I believe he's always working for good? Yes, that is what he's done. You know, actually, it was my oldest son, and he knows this. We've told him many, many times that I don't know what the purpose of God was for that little life in in Jackie in 1988. But I do know that if she would not have miscarried with that life, we wouldn't have our oldest son, Clay. So because of timing, because he was then conceived before the baby we lost a miscarriage would have been born. So we had never known Clay. And then all the dynamics of our family because of Clay. So um, sometimes we get glimpses mm. and we can we can come up with things that are reasonable and rational for how even this hard was good but sometimes we just don't know mm. i don't know you know sometimes you just go how is this hard good and or was that hard really worth the good it seems if it was that hard, there seems to be a need for a better good than that. So those are the things that we can honestly wrestle with that. I don't always, there's not, I don't always have good answers, uh, subjective answers to that. I always come back to the objective truth. And I'll say often, go back to the cross. Right. He could not love me more. A verse that I didn't read that, quite frankly— Romans 8.32? No, you read... Uh, no, I didn't read it. A verse that I didn't read that I should have read is exactly... Oh, it was in my PowerPoint. I was just running out of minutes. Um, is Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So I always go back to the cross because... The cross, I think, is the ultimate expression of the love of God for us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. If that's the ultimate expression, then if he has loved me this much, why would he withhold love on this level or love on this level or love on this level or love on this level? He's already demonstrated his love for us in this way. So if he's demonstrated his love for us in this way, then even though I don't feel it down here, I can trust it. Even though I don't feel it here, I can trust it because that is the power of the love of God uh, expressed in the cross. And, and, and now you could abuse that verse and go, well, he doesn't freely give me everything I want. No. No loving father freely gives his children everything he wants. My son, Will, wanted to play in the middle of San Jose. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Well, it... it, it if we were uninvolved, it would have happened. Right. If we would have just let him do whatever he wanted because that would be love to let you do whatever you want, no, he would have played in the middle of San Jose, and then he got run over by a car. And uh, I'm serious. It's, he wanted to play in the middle of San Jose because he was too young and too dumb to know that that would be hurtful for him. So does God give us everything that we want? No. Praise the Lord. Because if he gave us everything we wanted, we would want things that would actually harm us and and lead us 
down very, very bad paths. So he says, if I have given you my son, how would I not give, freely give you every other good thing? Now, it doesn't say good thing. I'm adding the word good there because of that is the nature of God. And love does what is good, not what is always wanted. Right. And we know that as parents. That's pretty right. easy to understand. That's good. So thanks for sharing that. <clears throat> I know it was a hard question to ask, but um, I know you think you may not have all the answers, but I think you're giving us real answers. And I think real answers are, are encouraging. Yeah. Um, so, all right, next question. I feel like the older I get, the more sinful I become. Huh. I just feel like I don't have enough time to confess everything to God. How do you go before the Lord in prayerful confession and not gloss over or miss something? That's a real question. Yeah. Uh, I think the older we get, the, the more sinful we get. I think the more honest we may get. It's not true for everybody. Some people um, lose touch with reality the older they get. But sometimes the older we get, the more we... Well, first of all... Um, <clears throat> It may be the older we get, the more we get to know this, and the greater we see the standard, the more we realize, wow, I do not meet it. Because when you're young, you think just about your actions. But then as you get older, you, think, you start thinking about, oh, my attitude with my actions. Oh, and then what about my thought behind my attitude behind my actions? And then what about my motives behind my thoughts behind my attitude behind my actions? And then it's like, wow, I am a piece of work. So it may be that you're becoming more aware of your sinfulness than just you're becoming more sinful. Now, you may be becoming more sinful because you just are doing what you want to do more and more and more and more. But it could be that you're just being more aware of your sin. I don't say just. So what do you do with that? You said, oh, man, I don't feel like I have enough minutes to confess. Um <clears throat> It's important that we confess and agree with God in our sin. It's important that you understand. It's not like God is in heaven going, you better name every single one and dig through your life and name every single one because if you don't name every single sin, then it's not going to be forgiven. And then if it's not forgiven, then you're under condemnation. That, that would not be an accurate understanding of the gospel. If I am in Christ, the punishment for my sin has been taken away. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't, as followers of Jesus, as believers in Jesus, we do not confess our sin because we're still under condemnation if we don't. That's huge, number one. So why do we confess our sin then? We confess our sin because having been made one with God, we want to walk with God. We want to be in step with God. And so we confess our sin not to get rid of condemnation. That's already been resolved at the cross. We confess our sin to say, Lord, you made me to walk in righteousness, and I wasn't. You made me to be patient, and I was short. And when I'm short, I don't reflect you. So where you know you haven't walked with him, don't confess in fear of condemnation. 
confess and desire to walk in oneness with him. That's a huge difference between um, under this weight of guilt. Man, that has been taken out of the way, having been nailed to the cross, Colossians 2. Because it's taken out of the way, having nailed to the cross, I want to live in the righteousness that I've had. So uh, my encouragement, some of us don't confess enough. We just ignore our sin. And I think we should admit, man, Lord, I'm not, not because I'm getting rid of condemnation, but I'm not walking in a manner that's worthy of you. I admit that, and I want to reflect you. But if we're wallowing in our sin, we're in danger of undermining the work of the cross. So if the Lord, to this specific question, if the Lord brings us into mind, you don't have to spend five minutes somehow trying to unpack every single sin. Lord, that wasn't like you. Lord, that didn't reflect you. I admit that. I admit that was a bad attitude. Lord, I confess that motive. Or I'll say, Lord, sometimes I can't figure out my motive. I invite you. I want to do it to please you. I'm just saying I want to put, oh, that thought, Lord, I repent of that thought. When I think uh, an arrogant thought or an impure thought, Lord, that thought is not of you. I repent of that thought. I turn from that thought because I know where that thought is leading. It's leading. not at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah, I'm yeah. not waiting. When I have a thought, I know it's right. not a correct thought. Uh, in the moment, Lord, that's a stupid thought. I repent of that thought. Right. Not because I'm under condemnation, but because yeah. I cannot <laughs> be who God intends me to do, walk in the Spirit when... Uh, I am going in a different direction, so I confess to line myself up back with him. But I'm afraid there's uh, living under guilt that has been taken away in that question. I appreciate it. That's good. And it's good to be aware of our sin, because the more we are aware of our sin, uh, uh, I just lost it. Colossians, Colossians, no, Galatians, Galatians, that... The law leads us to Christ. It's the tutor that leads us to Christ. So when we see where we fall short, don't let it lead it. Let, don't cause it to wallow in your sin. Cause it to lead you to the cross. Uh, Colossians, I mean, oh, I keep saying Galatians chapter 3, maybe? Yeah, I'm not, I can't uh, spot the exact verse you're talking about. Uh, okay. Yes, Galatians three twenty four. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. So, uh, <clears throat> in that reference, you can look it up later. Galatians Galatians three twenty four. Galatians three twenty four. It's just the reminder: uh, our sin mm-hmm. and being overwhelmed by it is not to lead us to despair or to condemnation. It's to lead us to Christ, right. where there's forgiveness, cleansing, and renewal. No, that's good. So I, I like what you've done with this question. It's like, it's not just, oh, what have I done wrong? Let me clean my life up. But it's confession, as I hear you saying, is it's a moment to turn to Christ to where I'm not lining up with mm-hmm. him. And it's actually the confession of sin is a, is a moment to desire, I want to walk with you. Yes. And I'm not, but let me look to you in this moment. Right. Instead right. of just what I've done wrong. Right. So, um, well, as we finish up, I know we run out of minutes here. Um, and uh, because of Big Power Surge Sunday, I know you were cut short on your minutes, so the sermon was a little bit shorter. Um, anything you would add now that you didn't get a chance to say? 
No, no, I just want, uh, I've been thinking as you were talking about my answer to that question. Because somebody might follow up. They didn't text. At least I didn't hear the bell go off. Uh, the follow-up question may be, well, what does sin do then in the life of a believer? If it doesn't bring condemnation, what does sin life do in the life of a believer? Uh, I, I like to think of it as like this. Sin in the life of a believer breaks the intended oneness of fellowship that we're had. Mm-hmm. It doesn't kick me out of the family. In the same way that I've made a lifelong promise, a vow to Jackie for marriage. So if she sins against me or I sin against her, it doesn't result in divorce. It doesn't end the marriage. Does it impact our fellowship with one another? Yes. And so it's important that we confess our sin to one another to restore the fellowship. So it doesn't end the relationship. Sin doesn't get kicked us, us kicked out of the family. I, I used to be afraid of that, and so it was like I have to confess every sin because if I forget some or I miss some, then I'm doomed. That's, this is the power of the cross. I want to confess my sin so that I can walk in the fullness of fellowship with God, not because I'm afraid that it brings condemnation. So just wanted to clarify that question because sin has a real impact upon the believer. But it's different than it has on the unbeliever. For the unbeliever, sin brings condemnation. For the believer, sin brings broken fellowship. Confession of sin to the unbeliever brings forgiveness and oneness. Confession of the sin for the believer allows them to live in the fellowship of that oneness. So maybe that's more clear. All right. All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. Hope you have a great rest of your Sunday, and we'll see you next week.